0: Kia ora, ko an O'Brien toku a e or waituhi or tamaki, no mai, harumai. I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers' Festival, Waituhi or tamaki, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2021 event. To read Brian Turner is to enter a world where natural things stand starkly. And emotions are felt as directly as the rock and streams and mountains to which he constantly returns, says fellow poet and 2016 honoured writer Vincent O'Sullivan. Lyric poet and keen environmentalist, Turner is a man of both sporting and literary talents, rabbiter, fisherman, cricketer, cyclist, mountaineer and former international hockey representative as well as an award-winning writer of 12 poetry collections, memoir, sport biography, essays, reviews and more. He won the Commonwealth Poetry Prize with his first collection Ladders of Rain and has gone on to further accolades, including the Robert Burns Fellow at Otago University, the Prime Minister's Award for Literary Achievement in Poetry, and the 2005 Tamata Estate New Zealand Poet Laureate. His most recent book, Landmarks, celebrates the places and people of his beloved central Otago, continuing the kaupapa of companion work Timeless Land, written with friends and collaborators Owen Marshall and Graham Sidney. Turner joins John Campbell on stage in a celebratory session of his life and work, supported by the Stout Trust, proudly managed by Perpetual Guardian. We hope you enjoy it.
1: It's the stuff of legend now, how 20 years ago Peter Wells and Stephanie Johnson got some like-minded people around a kitchen table and dreamed up the first ever Auckland Writers' Festival. It was a tiny event and, as Stephanie so memorably described last night in her University of Auckland lecture, The organisers were so convinced that because Auckland was, after all, only a city of car yards and fast food outlets, as might have been the view from cities elsewhere, sustaining it might be a challenge, and so they would hold it only every two years. Well, the rest, as we know, is history. But over the years, the various boards that govern this amazing event and all that surrounds it, and its directors, have never forgotten that history. And that's why every year since 2012, the final event on the festival program is an engrossing session in which we honour one New Zealand writer. It's been quite a roll call: Morris G, Carl Stead, Patricia Grace, Fiona Kidman, Albert Went, witty Hmeida, and Vincent O'Sullivan. On Sunday, all of those writers, apart from Morris, are getting together for our Worship of Honoured Writers session at 5 p.m. They're all old mates and it will be quite a session. I really urge you to go. Joining them will be this year's honored writer and the focus of this session, Brian Turner. Brian was of course to have been our honored writer in 2020 until COVID canceled the festival. In the interim, he has published the superb landmarks with his longtime collaborators and old friends, Graham Sidney and Owen Marshall. It's so wonderful and we're so delighted that he's been able to return this year so that we can salute a long career of remarkable books and great activism. I don't think it's stretching things too far to argue that Brian is one of this country's most beloved writers. And here to tell us why and to help share some of Brian's life and work with us is Brian with his great friend, John Campbell. Will you please welcome them?
2: Thank you so much, Nicola. In the manna, in the reo, in na iwi, tenakoto katoa. Kirangatira te tenakwe tenakui ihoa. Ko John Campbell, Toku no mai, Welcome everyone, Tenakoto Katoa. We are here this morning to honour Brian Turner. Thank you so much for coming. Kia ora, rawa Atu. Brian and his writing truly deserve this. A particular thanks to those of you from Otorihua, permanent population 35, and I understand eight of you are here today, which speaks of a love for you, Brian. <laughs> and exactly the kind of support for each other that Brian writes about. Greg Turner is here, Brian's little brother, who arrived on the planet somewhat unexpectedly just before Brian turned 19. In somebodies and nobodies, Brian reflects on Greg's birth in terms that are so matter-of-fact it's as if someone's stolen the adjectives. I quote, My little brother Greg was born in February 1963. News of this impending event had been kept secret until a couple of months before the birth. Initially, both Glenn and I were startled by the news, but then we simply accepted it. That's deeply moving, Brian. But Greg, here's the thing, when I spoke to Brian yesterday and he told me you were coming, he was chuffed, proud and chuffed. So 58 years on, you are welcomed beyond simple acceptance with love. Gillian is here, I can see Gillian, Jillian uh, Sullivan, whose own session at the festival, Love Letters to the Land with Tim Saunders, is exactly 24 hours from now, 11 o'clock tomorrow. Gillian and I have spoken a bit over the past few weeks Uh, about the session, more on that later. And Brian, what a thing it is to have someone who cares about you so much. And you are here, all of you, thank you, to celebrate the honoured writer at the Auckland Writers' Festival 2021. 2021, 43 years after Ladders of Rain was published, Brian's first collection of poetry with its very first poem, The Stopover, and the lines, when the trout rise like compassion it is worth watching. When the hinds come down from the hills with a new message, it will be as well to listen. They prefigured so much those lines, more than four decades old now, watch, listen, such Brian Turner words. But I also want to say this morning that I think our sense of Brian as an unrepentantly regional Otago poet to quote the Oxford Companion of New Zealand Literature, has possibly sometimes clouded our understanding of how big and universal Brian's themes are. Yes, Brian Turner is a great Otago poet, but because the stopover contains a trout, and most of us who live in cities have never actually seen one in the wild, or did once on holiday in topor it's exotic, almost, or unfamiliar, in a way, say, that Frank O'Hara's equally particular New York regionalism isn't to city dwellers. Brian does describe the literal thing, yes, but he also asks us again and again to share in his wonder and his gratitude and to stop as we do so to assess what's really valuable and what's not. That lovely couplet from Wordsworth and the tables turned, come forth and bring with you a heart that watches and receives Brian Turner has always asked that of himself and of us as readers too. Not a tour operator, the guy with the microphone at the front of the bus, but perhaps because he has taught himself to see things, or rather he knows the art of looking now. In a a four-line poem, uh, Deserts, for instance, he writes, the loveliest places of all are those that look as if there's nothing there to those still learning to look. Brian, you've learnt to look and you urge us to, almost as if it were sacred. Once, years ago, when we were in central Otago with our children and they were little, Brian and Graham Sydney built a fire out of small pieces of wood on the stony edge of a lake. It was great fun, yes, but it also meant that these city children could sit beside it and be warm while they watched the clouds move and the waters ripple and stir and the sky turn a crimson purple and then begin to darken. Watch, listen. In the poem, What's It Like? Brian says, when someone asks you to explain what it's like, where you come from, you say you're still finding out. The poems are finding out. And finding out is an act of awe and also of humility. It's a landscape that can call me to account and sometimes punish me for my mistakes, Brian says in Into the Wider World. Here I live and yearn, but the land wouldn't know. And in the poem Once, from Elemental, Brian begins, once upon a time, the earth was happy enough without us. Yes. At the beginning of Somebody's and Nobody's, Brian quotes Flannery O'Connor, if you want to be a writer, then you'd better come from somewhere. The somewhere fills his poems and his prose. Sometimes it's the landscape he loves so much. Those truly lovely lines from Just This, all I can say is that nothing hurts more than leaving and nothing less than coming home. Sometimes it's Dunedin, Reed Road, Wilkie Road, Clemiston Avenue. Sometimes it's family, Alf and Audrey, mum and dad, or elders fading from view, people who said things like waste not, want not, and thank God for small mercies, and felt gratitude but not great expectation. And beyond our reaching, a lovely poem from All That Blue Can Be, dedicated to his son, who Brian writes of with more love even than the landscape. He tells us, you took my hand in your smaller hand. I hoped you would not ask me questions about things I didn't understand. That's the father and the poet, isn't it? Leading us somewhere, but not always to answers. And now we are here, BT, to honour you. Not the first people to do so, nor the last. Commonwealth Poetry Prize, J. C. Reid Memorial Prize, Montana New Zealand Book Awards, Tamata Estate New Zealand Poet Laureate, Prime Ministers Awards, New Zealand Post Book Awards, an Officer of the Order of New Zealand—sorry, of the New Zealand Order of Merit. That is a lot of honouring. Once, as Poet Laureate, you wrote in some reasons why I got this job. You'd never been on This Is Your Life. Well, maybe today's the day. Michelle Langston suggested that in her wonderful piece about you in the spin-off, but you'd be suspicious of all that attention and you wouldn't quite know what to do with it. Still, in one of the poems of yours I love most, Elegy for Peter Hooper, you write, I think of the people who admired and maybe even loved you too and never told you so because we seldom do. So, Brian, today we're telling you. And some of the people here already know this and some of the people here don't, but Brian has recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And Brian, you, Gillian, and I talked a bit about whether we should say that, and you decided we should because you want to be honest with us. Nothing is off the table, you said. Well, nothing has ever been off the table with you. And I think of that beautiful Louis Simpson line you used at the beginning of Beyond, at the end of the open road, we come to ourselves. And you were here, BT, having cycled more open roads than anyone I know, coming to a new self and doing what you've always done, watching listening. You are full of gratitude still and a sense of luck and the same shining wonder. And I want to end this introduction with the final words of your poem, Lakeside, which are so resonant and so very true of you. It may be autumn, but today it feels like spring to me. Ladies and gentlemen, with thanks to our sponsors, the Stout Trust, proudly managed by Perpetual Guardian, the honoured writer for 2021. Brian Turner.
0: Thank
3: you. <laughs> Thank
2: you.
3: How are you, turns? Um, well, I'm not shattered, but I'm perplexed on the one hand and amazed on the other. Mm. And, uh, you yeah, know, I never thought ever thought that I would be sitting in a chair like this in Auckland. <laughs> 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 Is that a good thing or a bad thing And, um, yes, um, yeah, what did my mother say about my father? He was a good talker or something. Um, and I laughed and she said, just like you boys. <laughs> You talk a lot about your dad
2: in your poems. I've had the most beautiful few weeks just going back over them. He's there all the time, Alf. Some poems are directly to him, some poems are dedicated to him. What was he like?
3: Well, the first time I saw him was when I was a baby, really. He came through the door. There was a man in a uniform my mother turned around and handed me to him. And um, that recollection, if you like, stayed with me. And I found that my father and my mother worked hard. Um, They wasted nothing. Um, It took a long time for me to get them to give me a pair of long long trousers. But... uh, but my grandparents and mum and them, they knitted and so on and so on. We had everything that a man or a a boy or a girl and subsequently a man actually needs. We were adequately looked after and more than that. And they strove to take us to and show us southern New Zealand. Through my interest in fishing and the rest of it. And so on and so on. My father was a keen cyclist. He trained cyclists. Um, he bowled to us outside on the footpath mm-hmm. on the wall. Um, and, uh, you know, I spent a lot of my youth um, keeping at bay. Glenn and then years later, Greg. <coughs> because I didn't want their talent, talents to overwhelm mine. You know. <laughs> I mean that shows how weak a man can be, I suppose. Mm. But uh, no, I I, one of the reasons I wrote that book, "Somebodies and Nobodies," was to show um, how lucky we felt we were, and I've and I've kept that right through till today. I just look back and think, we were hell of a.
2: You, you say uh, on somebody's and Nobodies and Boundaries, I'm glad I wrote that book. It contains many of the things I'm happiest to have written. Hmm. What are they? What are the things you were happiest to have written in the end, Somebody's and nobody's.
3: Well, involvement with grandparents and what grandparents could do for you. Um, a discovery of <coughs> southern New Zealand and far out places. And t- we went up all the, the river valleys, and I was mad keen on fishing and Dad quite liked it and Glenn did too when he came along and so on Um, and, and we got became very familiar with southern New Zealand particularly south of the Waitaki and years later too I decided I wanted to climb mountains and I did sometimes by myself and sometimes not um Foolishly, mm, <laughs> not really, <laughs> but close to it at times. You know, I, I, I once came back from climbing in the Darrens um, and um, next day I looked across at the um, Remarkables and scooted over there and just clambered straight up the front of it by myself. And it's brittle things falling off all over the place. <laughs> I came back around and down the road. <laughs> you know, I've, I've had a, f- uh, you know, a, f- a full life,
2: really. Mm. Do you remember, and I'm quoting from somebody's and nobody's. I was about 10 years old when I began fishing for trout in the water of Leith, a stream that ran past less than 100 yards from our gate?
3: Yeah. It's, am- a-
2: it's amazing to me. Where, was, was that South Dunedin?
3: No, no, north underneath.
2: Oh, you'd moved, right. And so, and so there were trout in that stream.
3: Oh, it was chock-a-block. Thousands of mullet would run up on the incoming tide at the bottom. None of that's there now. I got very keen to, on trout fishing when we were there. And that's part of our lives, Glenn and I, and so on, we, we shared a two-storey wooden house with my father's parents, um, an uncle and a cousin and an auntie and Albie Collins who was a boarder for us and so on and so on. It was a bit, you know, I often overuse the word but it was a bit like a menagerie. But it was fantastic you know, grandma knitted you jersey and so on and I finally got my long pair of long trousers and, and and they, on, on the weekends, you know, we would go into Central and up to the Shag Valley and fish in the Shag River. And boy, you know, you, you couldn't have done more. And Dad would bowl to us outside the house on the footpath. Glenn and I would face up and so on and so on. And then we'd go across to the park, you know, about 150 yards away and play over there.
2: And there's a bit in somebody's and nobody's which stops me in my tracks because, and the older people in this room will remember that we used to get two weeks annual leave a year.
3: Mm. Extraordinary.
2: Now I think it's a minimum of four, right? Mm. And your dad got us two weeks. That's right. Which, you, you know, was 126th of the year, but he managed to make every minute of it count. Oh. And also weekends, when he had time off on the weekends, that was so precious, wasn't it?
3: Oh, yeah. My uh, father became the umpire too for a while, and so on and so on. Yeah, I, as I said before, nothing but um, amazing and grateful um, childhood and youth. Mm.
2: You say, in Like Father, Like Son, he told me what his father looked like, but not what he believed or why. He hadn't seen the him in him. Some things are too hard. And, and, and there's a sense, re- remembering Elf, which ends, this I do know, he was my father and I loved him. And the fact that neither of us said as much to each other sits like a stone in a river called Conscience in a land where remembrance lives on and constantly rewrites the past. And I wonder if it's easier for you to talk with love of your father when he's not around than it was when he was in the room.
3: Hmm. <clears throat> yes, up to a point. You know, I didn't want to give all sorts of things away. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't want to And you know, my father wasn't a naughty man. No, don't get me wrong.
2: You saw him as an adversary, you say, in one poem when you were young, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah.
3: But well, Mum said, you know, when I asked, I tell you before, you know, I said, what did you see in our father? And she said, well, he was a good talker. Did I tell you that before? No. I laughed at that and she said, yes, just like you boys. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
2: it's a lovely, Alf uh, encouraged vigorous debate. If he sometimes talked more than he listened, he wasn't alone there. Our belief in persistence as a virtue occasionally tipped us into the mire of obduracy. <laughs> I mean, what you're actually saying is you can be bloody-minded buggers from time to time you turn us, can't you?
3: Oh, well, with a surname like mine, you know, I remember... Uh, oh, you know, when, when I would walk into a bar sometimes in places in my 20s and 30s, when Glenn was around with me, there would be a voice from a corner, oh, Jesus, here's trouble... <laughs> they would say.
2: But you see your eyes are sparkling. You <laughs> like being troubled. Yeah, I don't know.
3: You know it was, well, you know, as I said before, mum was right. My father was a good talker. He always had an opinion about something. Ask him, he'd tell you what he thought.
2: Has there been a cost to you? I'm thinking particularly around environmentalism and everyone who's known Brian uh, or known of Brian for, for, for decades will know that he was one of the first voices uh, and I mean everyone was a voice opposed to Aramawana and, and that extraordinary madness. But you were one of the first voices that just generally said there is a degradation taking place mm. and a cavalier disregard for, 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 for the consequences of our actions. You, you was, I mean, you were an early on a voice in what is now called the environmental movement or whatever. Mm. And mm. People, they, they weren't, people weren't grateful for you saying that,
3: right? Particularly
2: the people you lived amongst, farmers, for example.
3: Yeah, well down well, in the Albatross colony on Tairara Head you know, we didn't want to see a bloody great aluminium smelter you know, a few hundred yards away before we talked about metres and so on um, and um, and that was a battle that was won by the uh, you know, well I don't think we were called Greenies in those days you know, but uh you know since then, people have been very grateful for what has mm. happened there. Um, so we, we're never, we never we like to get stuck into it if we were convinced of the rightness of something,
1: mm.
3: because. And I, I, um, you know, I, I thought Southern New Zealand was, you know, could be no finer place on earth, and I wanted to see the best parts of it protected over time and so on. And we're still fighting that sort of battle one way or another.
2: Do you? Want, you've got your book. What's that? It's a selected, oh, that's, um, yeah. selected poems. Yeah. yeah. You've got you've got some, Mark. Do you want to read us one? Have you, have you have you have you is there one that you would like to read? Because oh. Brian is a lo- I don't know how many of you have heard Brian read. I suspect many of you have actually. Uh-huh. He's a lovely reader of his own poems.
3: Hold oh, know. Hmm. Well, I'll read you one that's a little bit more than a page long, for starters. The training on the peninsula. I used to train on the peninsula on a bike. The blue and yellow light on the rolling land and the sea begins, the longer I look, to feel as if it radiates in me. And the day before this lights up, the day before that, and so on endlessly until the blue and white sky stretches as far and as high as the mind's eye imagines and is completely unrestrained. I push the gear lever down a little and the chain drops onto a smaller sprocket and the wheels begin to spin faster and the air's like a quick tongue in my hair as I descend swinging in wide curves around the hill. How easy it is to do something different. How hard to do it better is the message I get as I hear the tyres purr over the smooth seal and sense the kind of peace that one can really bear for long because it fetters wholeheartedness. On the flat, I take the long road back in and out of the bays, spinning steadily, enjoying a tailwind home for the first time in I don't know how many days? Mm. <clears throat> mm.
2: uh, I, it's wonderful. And I, and I think, and I've said to you before, and I wonder how many people in this room have had this experience, have, having had a very urban life, and, and we weren't big on family holidays when I was growing up because my dad was always at work. I knew Central Otago through your writing before I knew it from having visited it. Oh, and there's a but, vivid sense. Yeah. And, 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 and when you go there, you think, ah, yes, this is it. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to talk about what it's like when you're out in that space cycling.
3: Well, what's it like? Well, you can, when you're cycling, you can, you can get... You smell the land. So, you know, um, sometimes you'll hear some running water. Um, uh, I'm forever looking to and for what it's like. The skyscapes and the landscapes uh, always, they've always drawn me and seemed wondrous to me. I mean, that's hyperly almost, but Um, I always felt from an early stage that we're hell of a lucky as human beings to live in the sort of place that we live in and somehow or other I hope we're not going to decimate the whole place convert it into something it was never meant to be like as the likes of me saw it and that's why I got involved too early on in the stage with the environmental fights that we had and so on. And increasingly over the years, I've seen myself as a southern New Zealander. Um, and that's not because I feel contemptuous about or deeply concerned about what goes on elsewhere. But I wanted to be part and parcel of what we were doing to where I came from. And I wanted to be part and parcel of retaining the friendships that I had and the people I'd met. And, um, and, you know, I'm very, f- I like to listen. <laughs> it's most difficult to talk now. I like to listen to what other people have to say because I know what I think and why I think it. And sometimes people will say things, I think, well, I hadn't thought of it that way. Hmm, that's interesting.
2: Uh, w- we, w- often we think lazily, of central as being empty, which is bollocks of course, but in Shapes of the Wind, you say whenever there's said to be nothing, you'll find something new you never knew before. Mm. Well I suspect most of us don't turns, we we, we don't find something new because there's nothing. So how is it that you find it? Is it because you are looking?
3: Yes, looking and listening always. I'm interested if something different is going to happen today. I'm going to see something I haven't seen before. Or I'm going to look at something which I've always liked to look at and it seems even more colourful or wild or whatever today. Um, And when I wake up each day, I say, oh, this is good. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, as the years go by... I mean, I, I don't know whether I'm, what I'm seeking for here, but you know, I found out a while back that 30% of my brain now is not going to function because of what's happening to it. But I'm going to keep the rest of it going as well as I can for as long as I can.
2: <laughs> and the watching and listening. It's interesting. Having a conversation, I don't... I'm looking at Gillian, you'll know exactly, sometimes when you're talking with turns and you're just, you're making noise until you find what it is that you want to say and he just looks at you, doesn't he? And his look is, if you'll forgive my English, oh for fuck's sake, cut to the chase.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well... You've got to be, you know, not at arm's length about that sort of stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying this that Gillian's out to give me a, a good clout. <laughs> but, but often I've heard, all oh, those bloody turners, you know, and yeah. that's sort of saying, you know, what, what, what do you want to do? Take us down a, down a back alley and give us a good kick in the bum or something.
2: <laughs> <You know? laughs> in um, Autumn on the Matoda, you say... I have the burble of the river in my bones.
3: Mm.
2: What's that feel like?
3: Oh, twitchy. <laughs> That's nice. You know, it's alliteration, isn't it? You, as a writer, you've got to be careful that you don't overdo the alliteration. You know, you, know, you bad bastard, if you carry on with that, you buffhead. LAUGHTER <laughs> <laughs> So, so, that, so that's
2: actually not true. You just want to put burble and bones together, turns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell. Uh, there's some, when you read and read and read, and I, boy, I, I mean, I, I can't recommend highly enough just going back uh, on, on the basis of the session and having heard Brian talk and read, but you go back to the poems, suddenly you notice things. For example, the lovely cameos played by Hawks.
3: Hmm. Yeah. Well, they. They're, they're graceful often in the air and they're also squawky and pains in the proverbial and they're cruel. Mm-hmm. We think they're cruel, but they're not really. I just watch them, you know, and say, wouldn't that be good to uh, get up there with them? Do they, when they make noises, what is it they're actually saying? And so on. I mean it's a, a curious kind of curiosity but listen to the animals I say we just see so many animals as something to be knocked up over and eaten well now thanks to one or two of the people I like most I hardly ever eat meat anymore and my been convinced it's not good for you. I, I mean, I got bowel cancer and so on, so they shortened the bowels, so, you know, I'm not going to run out of here now and just because I've got a, all of a sudden a twitch here or there in the wrong place. But, um, <coughs> you know, the... Oh, well, anyway, get off that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to talk about
2: uh, what else it does for you being out In that space, that place, into the wider world, you say, for me personally, and quite simply, roaming outdoors withers anxiety and suppresses despair.
3: Yeah, it does. Yeah, because I I say I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky I can do what I do here. Um, When I look around me, I continue to feel that this is a wondrous place in all sorts of ways. And we're really lucky to be here and living here. And I feel a little bit, I could not now live in a heavily populated area with too much traffic noise and so on and so on because you can't, you know. I like to hear the cicadas, I like to hear the birds talking, and so on and so on. I like to hear fast, clear, cool and largely clean water rattling the stones so on I like the sun shining on the pools I like the greenness in the corners in the water and I like to roll over the stones and see if there are any invertebrates in there because if I can find some under the stones I know there might actually still be a few fish there and so on
2: The reasons for the deterioration, so this is, this, is, uh, this is what we've done to the environment, right? And the degradation of it into the wider world, which is really good terms. The reasons for the deterioration are widely known and accepted as true. They include insensitive agricultural practice, increasing irrigation demands, forestry, pressure from overseas anglers, and so on. What difference have you seen over decades of revisiting places, of going fishing, of going out.
3: Helicopters. <coughs> Wealthies from overseas. Uh, the chopper will go over to the top of you and they'll land a kilometre or two up in the valley. So the backcountry streams are being monopolised now by those who pay, who are paying to go fishing.
2: So, that, so they've paid five or ten grand for a day or whatever to chop around?
3: I, I don't know. but. They have, yeah, and our waterways all over the place just aren't as clean as they used to be. And um, I think it's well known. And why, when everyone hears progress, uh, development, and so on, they think "Hmm," actually depletion and destruction. Often, is the case, and that's why I'm part of what's group called the Greenies I suppose. I want us to look, better look after that which was here before us.
2: Once upon a time the earth was happy enough without us. Mm. You want to do another poem? Oh yeah, okay. Um, it's, it's lovely when he reads isn't it? <laughs> lovely. Um. There are some, some poets, I'm not going to name any names, who do a dismal job of reading their own poems. And I would warmly recommend they practised.
3: Beg your pardon? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, look. Mm. Well, I could read a short one, which is sort of a mix in it. It's called Semi-Kiwi. You know, you're not, not a real Kiwi. It's like <laughs> Semi-Kiwi. The barn roof needs painting and the spouting is ruined. Likewise, the roof of this house in which we live, borer here, rot there. I'm neither handy in the great Kiwi DIY tradition, nor moneyed, which rather leaves us up shit creek without a shovel. I grub to find what Stevens called the plain sense of things and come up empty-handed more often than not, but I'm a dab hand at recognising, if not suppressing, self-pity, and I can back a trailer expertly, <laughs> so all is not lost. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to pick up uh, you, self-pity, to talk about uh, your brain. And you said before 30% of it is a bit tangled or not working as it once did. Mm. But I think the word, my guess is that one of the words you've used most often this morning so far is luck. Yes. And I love the fact you still feel
3: lucky. Profoundly so. Mm. Very much so. And I, I can't remember now what I was saying before. But I'm lucky to have all the people I regard as close friends. I've met in considerable number of people over time that I've found myself having a lot of time for, (laughs) and so on. And I know lots of people who are cleverer and know more than I do and are better qualified than I do, so I can confidently say that I'm always going to learn something from them in their company, and so on. But I don't much fancy people who are up themselves a, a bit ignorant, of, and so on. And, uh, and you could say, turn that one around on me. while well, you're just being, you know, <laughs> what I'd rather not be. <laughs> <laughs> this,
2: in, uh, in 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 the beginning of somebodies and nobodies, uh, there's, 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 be- there's a beautiful particularity about what is acceptable and not in in the in the Turner household. Having an opinion is acceptable? Yes. Being singular about it is acceptable? Yes. Having a high regard of it is not. (laughs) So so you're allowed to hold forth, but self praise is no praise at all. Shit, that's a precarious balancing act, Turns, isn't it?
3: Yeah. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Tough going. (laughs) Your
2: your mum, who sounds beautiful. Uh, and you know, you were born when your dad was at war. Yeah. That's right. And she was with the, was she with the in-laws or her parents? She was with the...
3: Um, it started off with her parents. Yeah. And then Alf, my father. Um, we spent a lot of time with our mm. grandparents and so on. Um, you know, they, they. I didn't realise it at the time, but I, but I was aware that we had enough but only just. Yes, yeah. And... There's a lovely the, sense grand-p- in the grandparents knitted for us and the rest of it. and You know, it was a, it was a classic. self. Um, yeah. well, thank God for small mercies. It?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> you know, sometimes you know, they knit me the sort of jerseys that I didn't really want to wear. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a very Dunedin thing, isn't
2: it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, At at Doctor's Point, ask yourself and accept the answers you provide and hope that they are free of the worst of life's distractions like guilt, regret, recrimination, outrage, indignation and the savagery of
3: hindsight. God, I like that phrase. Yeah, Yeah, I thought, oh, that's a goodie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking of. my... Yeah, you know, in the wider family, well, you need a good kick up the bum, mate, they'd say. <laughs> are,
2: you, are you feeling those things? Guilt, regret, recrimination, outrage, indignation, the savage of hindsight. You seem like you're not. You seem like a man who's not feeling any of that nonsense.
3: No, I don't feel like that, now. God, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, oh, hell yeah. Um, it's... Can it be deeply comforting? I not yeah, well, it's very comforting, anyway. You know. Um. <coughs> How did you get
2: there, Tenz? How
3: did well, I get there? You would actually
2: just—I'm just asking as a guide for the rest of us.
3: Um, well, think again. You know. Take care. Listen. So when you're climbing on mountains, hmm. Um can I manage this or can't I, if I I get in the poop, can I I get out of it, and so on and so on. It's like when you're in a bike race and you're following a wheel, you know, just hang in there, hang in there, hang in there, but don't go too close to that joker there because he's all over the place. Think and take care, you know, because... We all from time to time do things which afterwards we say, that was a stupid thing to mm. have done. I don't want too many stupid things at this stage of my time. <laughs>
2: yeah. if, if we come back to that lovely phrase, the savagery of hindsight, and your realisation as you wrote it that it was a goodie, mm. tell me what it's like to write.
3: Write well, we, right
2: generally? Yeah. Well, when you know it's going well. If, oh. if you're sitting at home and you write a poem and you think, yep, that's what I wanted to say. What's that like?
3: Well, I, I just say when I've written something, will it hold up? You know, go and have a think about, look at it again tomorrow and see if it's a, as good as you can make it within the context of what you're saying. And, but when you're writing something, you never quite know what you're gonna say next. You know, um, I start out with just a thought Carry on until I stop, and then I go. So I go back over it and see. Hmm. Uh, is that a simile? Is that overworked? That sort of thing.
2: Do you get? Are you a? Are you? A, do you cross stuff? Oh
3: yeah. Mm, hell yeah. Um, usually, if if you think something's not quite right and working, are you almost invariably correct. Put it away. Hmm. <laughs> I've got drawers and drawers full of poems that I've never sent anywhere. I just write them, put them in the drawer. Not because I dislike them, it's just because... I don't know, there's not that many outlets and I don't feel as if... I'm happy to write what I write. I don't need now to have it published mostly. There's
2: a huge body of work too, isn't there? Which is lovely. Mm. Mm. and it holds up boy it holds up
3: Mm. yeah well yeah Um, most of the people I know as writers I regard as brighter than me and better informed in all sorts of ways but whether that's true or not I don't know Mm. we
2: we haven't talked about sport Mm. he says reaching for Oh bugger! I can't remember what book it was in terms. But I wanted you to read um, a poem for me, and I think—no, it's not there. I don't know what I've done with the book terms. It's (laughs) backyard cricket, and I don't know where it is. Maybe it's—no, I haven't got it. Let's talk about uh, playing cricket. Yeah. Because you were good at it, and your dad had high hopes for you, right?
3: Yeah. Um, Well, he—he thought technique is. Terribly important.
2: He was a big man on the, on the straight bat, wasn't he, you Yeah.
3: T- yeah. Technically, he had to be very sound and so on. You know, watch the ball, never take your eye off the ball and that sort of thing. Don't move too soon and so on and so on. Um, settle in, don't <laughs> take risks and get out too quickly and so on. But he was a bit upset when I sort of didn't pursue cricket, continue to do it because I didn't have time, really. I was doing other things, playing hockey and... You played hockey for New Zealand. Climbing mountains and so on and so on. Yeah. Fishing. Fishing, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to squander a life. I I wanted to come to the end of it saying that I'd led a full life and I'd done one hell of a lot. Mm.
2: You're not at the end. No. And, and, and you're still... Uh Getting immense joy out of um, your cycling and But I love the line from saying goodbye and hello, you'd better marvel while you can. Mm. And you've always had that sense of being in the present with gratitude and wonder, right? It's oh, always yeah. been.
3: Oh, enormously so. Yes. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, I've, I've met and still all sorts of people that I really like and one of the reasons I like them too is because I can guarantee that I might they'll say something I've got to have second thoughts about and I'll learn things from them and I like people who've got a sense of humour and can laugh at themselves because we're all absurdities <laughs> up to a point <laughs> there's, there's,
2: a, there's, a beautiful, there's a beautiful thing when you talk about a good day fishing Mm. And you know, when, when you just have a lucky day yeah. and you've got the right company, the right weather, the right place, mm. the fish are there, yeah. and, and, and you and the fish are challenging each other. Mm. Tell me about that, that moment.
3: Well, <coughs> you just spot one, say, so well, you watch it for a while, see what it's, what's it doing? Anything? Just, or just, is it feeding on anything? Is it moving sideways or up? Is it taking something just below the surface? Or if it's taking something off the surface, you can always see that. So, so you've got to work out, hmm, what am I going to... Which fly am I going to put on and what size? And Where is the sun? Where are the shadows? <coughs> Don't let the sun behind you and have your shadow go on the fish or it'll just... Pfft, away. So you're assessing and measuring all the time. You're listening to the rattle of the water over the stones. You're seeing the sunlight on the sh- and the sheen on the water in some parts, and you can't see into it, so you've got to move a bit this way in order to. So, you're constantly thinking about it, you know. And I'm looking at the skylines and so on, and I keep... Feeling as if I live, as we were saying earlier, in, in a place as close to paradise as one could be in, you know. Uh, I think we, hmm, how many people are coming to New Zealand in the next two or three months? Hmm, is that enough? Or is it too many? <laughs> I don't know. I,
2: I never, because I've never been trout fishing. Yeah. So you choose the fly. Yeah on the basis of what is around at that time. So if yeah. the trout's come up to the surface yeah. and snapping at something, yeah. you choose the fly that looks like that. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, sometimes you've got what we call emergers. They emerge up and onto the surface and the fish are taking them. Well, and sometimes something just comes along and lands on the water. Or fly does. You know. In the evening... Well, there's all sorts of stuff around all over the place. Sometimes in some places it used to be a damn nuisance. There was so much for the fish to <laughs> grab at. They weren't going grab what you put in front of them.
2: There's this lovely story in Somebody's and nobody's I think this is when you're at Leith's fishing in Leith. We were talking about it before. You're oh. about 10 years old. You yeah. caught the trout. You yeah. go home on your own, yeah. whack the head off, gut yeah. it, and yeah. fry it in butter. Yeah,
3: we used to, we used to catch... Uh, fish off the wharves and so on. When, but and so. When you,
2: so you'd go home and just cook it up on your own for yourself yes. when you were 10?
3: Oh, no, no. Well, I, I did occasionally, yeah, but not very often at that point, no. But nowadays, you see, there the, we used to catch fish off the wharves in Dunedin. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and as I was saying earlier, the thousands of mullet running up the, the bottom of the leaf, there's nothing there now depletion, degradation, destruction, 3Ds, which are a lot of things that occurred as a consequence in large part of human activity.
2: (coughs) We've been uh,
3: cavalier, haven't we? Some
2: of us more than others. Yes,
3: but deliberately couldn't care less as well. Willfully reckless. Yeah, willfully blind. Mm. And that's... All over the place, but we didn't have TV. And though know, they did, they couldn't afford it, and they didn't want it anyway. Because my father said, "Oh, it's an evil." <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, the radio's all right, and then, you know, and they were in the World Record Club, and Dad and Mum and they um, buy. LPs all the time, and that's how you know, I learned to listen to Tchaikovsky and Bartok and the rest when we were
2: and y- youngsters. And you, your dad had this beautiful experience. Not a beautiful
3: experience, yeah. but it's a silly
2: word, a thoughtless word. And he'd he had-
3: take us to, to, to um, mum and dad take us to orchestral concerts. Mm-hmm.
2: And, he'd been, and he came home from the war with Italian, with a little bit of Italian. Yes. And, 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 and he reveled and just... Verbenia,
3: Mickey, boy, <laughs> and All this sort of thing. And Mum would say, oh, for God's sake, Alf. You know? <laughs> no, no. He, he said, I, I like the Italians. He said, you know? And if, if he heard that there was working as a chef down at the law courts or something in a pub in Dunedin, because Dad went in and out of the pubs quite a lot, um, he would bring him home to our place and he'd want to, he'd want to prattle right there. And Mum was saying, what's he saying? I said, I don't worry. You could go try a bit harder to learn, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah. But it was, yeah. They were, oh, we were saying earlier, marvellous parents to have had. Alf you know? used to train Alan Larkin's a cyclist. He was a great cyclist. Mm-hmm. My father was a bloody good sprinter on the track, and he became a first-class cricket umpire.
2: How, how are you, Turns In 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 terms of of life now. Is content
3: a glib word? That's no, not a glib word. It's um, if you can with confidence, use it quite a lot, you're a very lucky person. And I'm content with all sorts of things. You know, I'm still thinking of how can one do certain things better or um, there are one or two things, maybe you shouldn't be carrying on like this or that. Um, But I'm not, not haunted by anything like that. You know, I think I know what's right and what's wrong. and um, you know I'll break the regulations or two here and there, but I don't see that as all that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's sort of what David would dare say duck shoving or something.
2: <laughs> We're coming to the end and Anne O'Brien wants to come and do something but I I wondered if you want, do you want, have you got another poem? Have you got another poem you want to read us? Uh, I'd, I'd love, as we come to the end of the session, to have, to sit with your poetry. Um, I don't know. Thanks, Tens. It's, it's beautiful well, to hear you read. I don't
3: know whether, did I read that poem, Blackbird, before? No. It's a shortish one. When a blackbird starts singing high in the silver birch and darks hovering, heartfelt beats heartless hands down. And it seems to those who hope to discern the difference between love and loveliness that the bird's song may be as pure as any will ever hear, and as part longing, part fulfillment, near unadulterated joy. And though one can't say that a bird wonders if remorse will ever run its course, that blackbird sings in ways that assuage need in a voice that's his alone until, miraculously, it feels as if I'm singing too, him to me and me to him and both of us for all of us. Oh, yeah. Mm. Mm.
2: That 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 was a good poem. Mm-hmm. Because you you you've, you've done the singing, mm. hasn't he? He has. You, your poems have been the singing. Mm-hmm. And it turns, we were going to do this session last year, weren't we? I can't remember. No. then. No. we were, Where and were we? then COVID. Ah, yeah.
0: Oh and, I'm glad. And, we're and,
2: and, then, still and uh and then I heard from Sid that, you know, that your memory was and then Gillian uh, I had a chat to Gillian a few weeks ago. Gosh, she's fantastic, isn't she? I mean I you know I know you don't like to get too carried away at turns, but
3: yeah. Well yeah you know, there's no finer woman that I know. Yeah. But I've known a lot of women who are really fine. People. <laughs> 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 Oh, well really fine people though, yeah, sort of, yeah. no it's true yeah. and,
2: and, and so I've, I've, this mattered today that you had your voice in a way that you would want and I had no idea what to expect and I just want to say you've been wonderful and if and and but if, that, if that's what you like with, uh, with 30% of your brain scrambled, then on a good day with 100%. Yeah. Thank you, John. Yeah. Yeah.
3: And thank you all for coming along but, but, but and being so generous with your praise. But
2: there's one more thing you don't know about, Turns that is yet to happen. But, Anne O'Brien, who is Festival Director, is just coming on to just say a few words.
0: Right. First of all, thank you, Brian, for bringing your openness, your generosity and your work to us today, but throughout your creative life. It is an honour and a privilege to be on the stage with you. Uh, In our honoured writer tradition, which we've been now doing since 2012, we gift each of our honoured writers a special taonga. Uh, in 2013, when we first started doing this, we went to the beautiful artist Chris Charteris, and each year he crafts out of beautiful ponamu a piece inspired by the idea of a penknife to gift, a treasure for you to take. And in talking about uh, the penknife he has made for you, I thought I would just read the card. He always puts a beautiful card on with it. Dear Brian... This Ponamu is like yourself. It tells a story. Looking into the translucency of this Ponamu, you see a magnitude of time, extreme forces of nature, mountains, rivers and forests. It's like liquid poetry, solidified into stone. Arahanui, Chris Charteris. Brian, I would like to present this to you.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the honoured writer for Auckland Writers' Festival 2021, Brian
0: Turner. Tanakwe, You've been listening to a podcast from the 2021 Auckland Writers' Festival Waituhi or Tāmaki. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud and on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.